Welcome back to another edition of De Stefano Talks. On today's edition, I sat down with Clyde One Super Scoreboard host Gordon Duncan. We discussed his start in the media industry with working at local radio station in Lanarkshire, L107, his eventual move to Clyde Super Scoreboard in 2012, and then taking over from the likes of Jimmy Sanderson, Peter Martin and Jerry McCulloch and becoming the new host of Super Scoreboard. We also discuss his relationship with pundits such as Gordon Dale and Mark Wilson and hear about how he deals with problematic callers who come on to the show. All that plus much, much more on today's episode of De Stefano Talks to Gordon Duncan. Hi Gordon, how you doing? Yep, not too bad at all, thanks. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, not at all. Just to start off with a, a nice quick and easy question, what was it that interested you in working in the media? I think it was a sort of realisation when I was a bit 12 probably that I wasn't going to be anywhere near good enough to play football so talking about it seemed like the next best thing uh, I think it, it genuinely does stem back as, as far as that so once I got to sort of early on high school teenage years that's all I can really remember wanting to do so but I, I do think it was as simple as that not good enough to play it um, talk a lot not usually lost for words so why not um, why not talk about it instead I think it was that simple to be honest I have to say that that's the exact same as me. Um, I, I think I must have been in about third or fourth year and I was like, right, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to, to do, play this football, so let's just talk about it. So no, no that's pretty much the same as me. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you, last, you lasted longer than me by the sounds of it. I think I was you know, sort of trained up at, at, at Motherwell when I was about 11 and 12 and ah, yeah, nowhere, nowhere near it. So um, yeah, like I say, talking about it seemed like the next best thing. <laughs> and I believe you started off as a match reporter for a, a local station in Motherwell. What what was your feeling like going into that position, and, and what was it that you did? It was just a family friend, really, um, who knew I was interested in a life in the media and so on. And it was a, a radio station called L One O Seven, and it was so simple, so basic. Yet it was, in many ways, the exact same skill set that I would then go on and use on Super Scoreboard many times. So it just involved really going to Motherwell games, um, and literally phoning, phoning up at half time and full time, and just giving a report of the, of the game. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty simple. I've got no idea how many people listened, um, but it, it was great. It just gave, it gave me a good um, a good sort of grounding in this the skills that. That I was going to need, and yeah, I loved it. The first experience as well of just kind of getting into a press room after a game and and, and seeing how that all worked, and realizing you know how managers can be really high or really low depending on what's going on. So it was that would have been around about two thousand and seven ish, I would imagine. Um, so yeah, it was that that was great. That was um, a really good experience. I think it really helped me in years to come. And how long did you do that for? Yeah, that that wasn't long actually, and then. It, it served its purpose, so to speak. And Peter Martin, who many of you of your listeners will know, obviously from uh, Peter and Ruffy PLZ Soccer, he was the host of Super Scoreboard at the time, and he was a neighbour of mine. And again, knew that I was uh, interested in getting into the media. And he just called me up one Saturday morning and, and said that someone was sick and would I go and cover a game on Super Scoreboard, which was incredible. Now looking back, you know, having been having now been in his position, if you like that. The, the trust and the faith to 
to call up a teenager and go and, and go and ask him to go and, and do it on the show on a Saturday afternoon. So I, I, you know, I'm forever thankful to him for that because that was a that was a massive show of faith. Um, but the strange thing is, it was actually just doing the same thing. It was it was the same the same requirement, the same role, but obviously there's a bit more pressure on when it's on on Clyde One Super Scoreboard, and then it just kind of grew from there, really. Do you remember your first match? Yeah, I do. So it was at, it was at the old Love Street, and it was um, St Mirren against Dundee United. And funnily enough, I don't really remember much about the game. I don't think I even remember the score. I think it might have been two each. Yeah. And the only reason I know that is because I think I, I've looked it up since. Um, and I remember just not having a clue how to set up the equipment or anything. Clyde <laughs> had to send an engineer to set it up for me, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. Like, it's so simple as well, like now having done it many times. But uh, they sent someone, um, I, I think in my, like, my rush to get out of the house, I I don't even think I remembered like a proper pen and paper. I was like scribbling my report down on some sort of scrap of paper that I could find, and I remember like stressing out um, in case I got the pronunciation of was it Kovacevic? Did Dundee United have a player called Kovacevic, something yeah. like that? And I was absolutely bricking it in case I got it wrong. But um, as far as I'm aware, it all went fairly well. Well, they've not they've not found me out yet. They've not got rid of me yet, so it must have been okay. <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't imagine like the pressure that you would have you would have had and would have been going through your head at the time because even when I'm even recording like parts of Days to Fan of Thoughts, I feel like under pressure to, to make sure I get everything spot on in what I'm saying. So couldn't imagine how hard that would be when you're actually going on live radio, etc. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? I don't think you really. Th- I, I, I don't. Maybe this is just me. I don't really remember thinking about it. I don't think I was properly like rattling or you know shaking or anything like that I just think it was just a case of just do it you know he's you've been asked to do it for a reason just get just just get on with it sort of thing I don't remember being and what was quite good in a way um was you know they, they, they made a big they made a big deal about it being the fact that it was the first time I was on and I was so young and whatever it was like Peter and Hugh and DJ and David Proven so it was like once I finished the report, they were all giving it like, "Oh, what about that? What do you think of that? Is he like, is he got a future and all this?" So it it kind of put a bit of pressure on, but it it also made it a bit more kind of laid back, I think, as well. So yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, no, definitely. So that was what, what year was that? Did that happen that you got? I think that was oh nine, I think. And then was that when did your like I suppose permanent kind of gig come with you know being a reporter for Clyde? When yeah, did I mean, that happen? It bubbled away quite, not 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 slowly, but you know it, it took a bit of time. So from then on, I was getting involved. You know that was one Saturday. Then it was okay every every couple of Saturdays if needed. Then it became every Saturday, and and then it became every Saturday at a, at a bigger game. You know, and it just sort of grew from there. And then in twenty, the academic year eleven twelve was when I did a postgrad in broadcast journalism over at. Um, the University of the West of Scotland yeah. and at that point then I had to do like a sort of formal placement if you like um, for for the course naturally I, I haven't had you know the experience in there I went into to Clyde One to do it and then I never left after that so that was like the kind of you know give or take a couple of months but we can we'll get to that later or skim over it to make it a bit easier um, yeah so 2012 was when I started kind of freelance news news and sports shifts you know, in the office every day, 
um, covering a lot to do with the Olympics and stuff like that. So it was a real, real interesting time to get involved in in the media. Um, so like I say, I was doing news as well. So you had you know the Olympics. We were building up then towards an independence referendum. Yeah. Um, so even away from football, um, Commonwealth Games, Ryder Cup. So even away from football, it was a, a really interesting couple of years to, um, to to get involved with it. So kind of twenty twelve, I'd say, is the the kind of the main date that I look back on. And when you first went in, did like anyone in particular like take you under under their wing and kind of show you show you the ropes, etc.? I mean, yes and no. I, I would lean towards no, and but not. That's not to be disrespectful to anyone who was there. Of course, I got loads of good advice from people, and you know, to, to kick us off. Um, you know, in terms of reporting on a match day, Peter was great, and I used to soak in a lot of information from him and then in terms of like the processes and stuff you know in the office and, and some of the the ways that you go about things just all the other you know it was like Sheila McLaren at first and then Alison then Robbie now Conroy who, who works on the show still um, you know these would be the people who were kind of show me like specifically what to do day to day and I, I used to shadow them at press conferences and stuff but and again this is what I mean by not, not to take anything away from them what's actually good about Clyde one for me is very quickly I was just sort of left to my own devices um, and I think that was just the best way of learning really um, you can, you know, there was no point in going on shadowing forever and I remember doing the one story that sort of sums it up is when um, so February 2012 that's when I'm on this kind of uh, course at uni and that's and many of your listeners will know they'll have different opinions on that date depending on what their allegiance is so that's when Rangers went into administration yeah um, and I remember it was I was essentially on just like a one-off. I used to get in on a Friday when I when I wasn't at uni, so it was essentially just like work experience. And this day I went in, and I wasn't shadowing anyone, and I got sent to Murray Park, and I spent about ten or eleven hours outside Murray Park in February. It was freezing cold. It was pouring a rain. I was so underprepared. I just didn't have the right clothes at all. And eventually, um, I think, actually, funnily enough, I think it was Fraser Wishart um, on behalf of the PFA came out and there was some sort of statement about, you know, the, the contract situation regarding the players. Yeah. And it was mental, you know, it was like Sky Sports News, Sky News, Channel 4 News, Channel 5 News, like everybody was there. And I remember the only way I could get my mic up to Fraser's face was to kneel down in a puddle. I actually had my knee in a puddle and I was freezing cold. And I wasn't getting paid for it because I was just kind of there as, like I say, on work experience. Um, and I thought this is brilliant, terrible, but brilliant at the same time, if that makes sense. So um, I think being left to my own devices quite early on actually was was beneficial. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, sounds like you are you are thrown right into it. When Jerry McCulloch announced that he was leaving Super Scoreboard in 2017, when did you find out that you were actually going to like follow in the footsteps of guys like Peter Martin, Jimmy Sanderson, etc.? I think I actually found out before I knew Jerry was leaving, if that makes sense, or, or certainly at the same time. Um, I didn't, I didn't know he was, I didn't know he was leaving. Um, yeah. So it was just a, it was just a phone call one night. To, to deliver both at the same time basically you know do, do you fancy taking over Super Scoreboard because Jerry's leaving basically or he's not not renewing his um, his contract he's, he's going to go elsewhere and, and work for Celtic so it was pff, I was mental I'll never forget it like just I was in the car with my now wife so we were driving and you know you get these moments I remember specifically where I was I was just coming off the slip road from the M74 getting up to Motherwell and um, yeah the call was basically that you know do you what, what do you think do you fancy it and it it was just the weirdest mixture of like, 
dread and excitement at the same time because I'm not like maybe as instantly confident as some people would expect. So actually my first thought was just like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do that. Like what if I'm shit? Like what if I just can't fill those shoes? Like what if no one listens? What if everyone hates it? Um, but then very quickly it's like, no, think about it. Like you've been asked for a reason and <laughs> there's not a chance you can turn this down. You know, you have, you have to go for it. So uh, it was it was it was, a, it was a weird a weird spell that because then I was kind of sitting on it myself, you know, told people close to me, but um, it was a few weeks before like it could get formalised, and then a, a, few, a couple of weeks after that, I think again before it became kind of public knowledge, if you like. So uh, it was a weird time. It was exciting in the end, but um, pretty strange to look back on. And obviously, it, it's a lot of kind of like a lot of pressure on it because it is like arguably the, the biggest phone-in um, for Scottish football in the country. You know, with that, do you miss in, like, on a Saturday getting out to, like, Fir Park and things to, to even watch Motherwell? Because obviously it's a team you support, but mm-hmm. also, like, going out to, like, actually watch the matches unfold and take place. Yeah, I used to love that, honestly. That was, like, my favourite part of the role, like, especially maybe when I was a bit, because I was younger as well for a lot of it and you know, didn't have, like, a, a family or whatever, so there was, like, there was no excuse. I used to push to do any sort of game. You know, I was, you know, if it was an international week, I'd want to go to the under-21s and do that and then go to whatever it may be, you know, then obviously the big games, the European games away were fantastic because you've got the, you know, the kind of glamour in, in the trip, but I just used to love going to games and I do miss it. It's definitely the one part um, of the of the the role that I miss because there's just no substitute for it at all. Like that, that's when I felt I really knew my football more than more than ever. And that's not it's not to say that I don't feel that way now, but it's it's different. I now have to go with like a real effort almost to kind of keep up with like who's playing and who's not. But see, having see even spent a season and, and maybe watching you know nearly a hundred games and seeing players all the time from all teams and and how they go about it and seeing managers instantly react to games that you just cannot beat that I absolutely loved it I must say I think like for me I go to the football well I used to be able to for, exactly. <laughs> you know I used to go to the football like, almost like every second week so you know for me I, I feel like it, it would be something hard especially like to to you know, end up like having to mm-hmm. be in the studio, etc. So no, definitely. I, I was going to say you probably you can't even go to like midweek games because again you're you're doing the sits until late. So again, yeah. it, it must be hard. For no, you. I mean I do try. So basically, if it's nearby, and by nearby I mean Celtic Park, Ibrooks, St Mirren, mm, Hamilton, Mullerwell. That's Partick Thistle when they were in the top flight as well. If it's there, I would I'll try and go for the sort of second half, or or however you know however quickly I can make it to the ground. So, and we've got I've got it all figured out. So St St Mirren is the closest up and over the Erskine Bridge. You can be there very quick. Yeah. Um, Ibrooks not too bad. Celtic Park similar, and um, obviously the most common one for me because it's it's on the way home and it's a labour of love. I know that I can get to Fir Park exactly on the half-time whistle of a quarter-to-eight kick-off. Yeah. And uh, then I just grab my, my pie and my pakora and up the stairs and watch the second half. So, it's um, yeah, it's, it's the best I can do. If The show is not always on on a Sunday either, so um, I, I'll try my best to get out on a Sunday. I'm, the only one I've been at, obviously, this season, it's more limited as well. But I went to Celtic, um, Celtic Mullerwell a few weeks ago, yeah. uh, which was great because when the 
second and third goals going, I could just pull my face mask up over my eyes and didn't need to watch the rest of it. So um, <laughs> certainly on behalf of my little fans everywhere, I think that was the that was the best bet. But nah, yeah, I, I do miss it, but I try and get to as many games as I can. Do you see on Twitter and things like that, like people have their their own opinion, but they'll they'll say that. Uh, it's mainly old, like old firm fans that they will say, but they, they they seem to think that you're not actually a Motherwell fan. But in, in reality, you are. You're, you're like a diehard Well fan. I know. Uh, listen, do you know what? I go through these phases like where sometimes that really doesn't bother me because it's like, well, you know, obviously not. Like, who cares? And then other times, I wouldn't say it bothers me, but I, I, I kind of stop to think like. Is it really that inconceivable? I'm assuming most of these people who think that are kind of grown men and they, they, they cannot even fathom that someone could possibly not see life through a green or blue prism the way they do. You know, it's like there is a bit more to life out there, um, which is which is something that people think don't don't really realise in this city. But yeah, listen, I, I don't obviously have to justify it to anyone. I don't I don't really care. Um, it, yeah. it doesn't bother me because. It's so far from the truth. I mean, the, the truth is, I've been going to Fir Park since I was four. I was a, I was a ball boy. I was a season ticket holder all my days. I've been away in Europe on buses and on trains and planes and all sorts. So um, that's the truth. But you don't have to. Why should I justify that to everyone? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For every, for everyone who comments on Twitter, I could send them back. 100 photos of me in my low strips all my life or whatever but oh, do you know what who cares that's just Glasgow that's that's just the way it is yeah that's what it's the city we, we all live in <laughs> yeah. um, how much planning and preparation then goes into like a you know like your Monday to Friday like the nightly episodes mm-hmm. yeah I mean it varies and that's the thing there's, there's no like set time uh, what I always say to people is my preparation starts really with the minute I open my eyes just because of the the 24 hour kind of news cycle we've got now social media so as soon as I open my eyes like everyone else grab my phone see that I've not missed anything since I went to sleep um, and then it starts there and and it, it just varies you know some nights will take care of themselves so um, not to spoil this for your listeners but you know we're, we're, um, we're you and I are recording this on a Monday yeah which is pretty straightforward so you know you're just going to deal with the weekend's talking points um, and that kind of takes care of itself so in terms of real planning or real preparation um, this would be one of the, the, the quieter days on that front um, the more difficult ones are days often midweek you know if there's just nothing happening and, and you think right what, what are we going to do here but it's not it doesn't have a set time I'll tend to get into the office at about four o'clock um, prior to lockdown um, the the routine was a meeting at four o'clock with some of the other staff just to find out what press conferences have been going on, what was said, and just to drop a kind of rough order or whatever that, that we want to do things in. Um, and and, and that's, that's really it. I mean, granted, if there's a specific guest or something that we're trying to organise, we'll try and do that throughout the day. Um, and, and just hopefully it falls into place before six o'clock. But... Yeah, I think it's one of those things. There's no, there's no real set time because even if I have prepared all day, something could happen at four o'clock and five o'clock, half five, and and it, it just throws everything up into the air. But that's what I like about it. That's you know, that's the kind of the beauty of of live radio. If you like, you know, of umpteen examples of stories like breaking whilst we're on air, and it's great. That, that gives you that gives you a real kind of buzz to to try and get that immediate reaction to it. 
You must have um, back in May when all the the stuff was kicking off with the SPFL and all that. That that was just like content constantly coming through. It must have been great. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. It was. That was crazy. I remember, like like everyone else with lockdown, trying to, to everyone was kind of getting out and, and doing stuff to try and you know kill time or, or find something else to do. And I, I was out walking a lot, and every day it was just like. Yeah, I used to use that time to just clear my head a bit before I dealt with like that absolute madness of all. But it, it was good, like in that you've got to some some things are good for business, you know. That's that's just the reality of it. it gives us something to get our teeth into. The listening figures on some of those days were absolutely through the roof, um, and we hadn't even kicked a ball in months. So that just kind of sums up what Scottish football can be like. Yeah, uh, it's the unpredictableness that, that I love about Scottish football. Absolutely. Um, what would you say then that the key differences between like the the weekday shows are to you know for for example the like the six hour kind of shows on a Saturday? Yeah, I mean, there's just some, I don't think anything other than the obvious and the fact that you know we're, we're taking calls for the two hours during the week. Um, we're obviously not really taking calls at the weekend until after the games. I do I do love the weekends as well. I love you know that kind of fast pace, just kind of whizzing around all the grounds, getting the team news. And then maybe having a bit of a debate on the week's biggest stories. And then before you know it, the game's kicked off. We've got a bit of a you know, a first half, second half teaser to get some audience interaction. The goals are hopefully raining in. Um, there'll always be some kind of random topics that'll that'll pop up that you never expected. And then before you know it, the game's finished and then you're on to the open line. It's the one thing that I say to everyone, like, you have no idea how quick a six hour show goes. Like it sounds like a long time. I mean it is a long time. And I stand there for that full time. I don't even sit. I just stand for the six hours. Um, even old Hugh even stands for the six hours. Some of the rest of them are um, they're a bit lazier and they take a wee stool every now and then. But Hugh's a Hugh's a warrior. He stands for the six hours even at his age. And um, <laughs> it, it, it really, really can fly by. Um, Andy Halliday joined us in the studio on Saturday for the first time, and that was the four hour. And I get, it was the first thing he said on the way out. He's like, "I that flew by." He's like, "It goes so fast." Um, so I like that. Yeah, it's a real fast pace at the weekend. And there's obviously there, there are more voices, there are more things happening. So um, yeah, both good, both you know different but good in their own way. I remember when I was at um, when I was at college. Um, obviously, I was studying radio, and um, I remember uh, I was about to leave because like, it was the day was over, and my lecturer came in. And he went, "Oh, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was like, he's not in, he's not going to be able to do a show tonight. W- would you be able to cover for him?" And I'm like, um, "Right, okay, that's fine." So this was about fifteen minutes to to actually go live. I, I, I didn't know anything about the guy's show, um, and I was only going away because my show was only like, after his, um, and it was I was like mine was two hours and his was two hours, and it was like four hours. And I'm like, "Oh my god, yeah, yeah, I'll do it." And um, I remember sitting there, and when my show finished, and I, I went, like, I, I locked down everything. I was like, "Oh my god, that was the longest shift I've ever put in my life." <laughs> so. Um, so when you said the six hours uh, dried, uh, flies in, I was uh, it just threw me back to that, and I was like, oh, I yeah. Um, no, it does. I think once you get your teeth into it, it just kind of yeah, don't know where time goes. How do you deal with difficult callers that come on? Um, callers that I suppose want to be argumentative, or uh, and I suppose uh, an example would be if Hugh Keevans predicts something and it, it, it doesn't pay off, I suppose, or, or come through, and someone's on to have a go or, or you know, take to, like noise them up. How do you deal with those kind of calls? It's a weird one because I'm obviously there to try and act as some sort of middleman. So if they've got a particular debating point with one of the pundits, then 
I just kind of stuck and sit back for a bit and then let them go at it. Um, then, but then you're listening carefully because ultimately I want to try and make sure it, it's providing good radio. So if I feel like we're going around in circles a little bit or if there are irrelevant points being made on either side, because the pundits are more than capable of doing that as well, um, just a bit kind of picking your moments to try and, and steer it in the right direction. Um, and always, it's not always easy, but to try and just kind of do it in a sort of calm manner and, and use you know some some sort of factor or whatever to to, to back up the point i mean and, and these are the ones that are that are you know i'll lead you back to the question of uh you know perceived bias these are the ones that are hilarious for me because like i'll always you know if someone's going to hammer a point i'm just going to give the opposite view that that's like quite literally the job description like that's what i'm there for so if a Celtic fan is going to phone up and batter Alfredo Morelos, for instance, or vice versa, you know, a Rangers fan phones up to batter Neil Lennon, whatever it might be, I will then just point out, well, hold on, what about what about the time when Morelos did this or did that, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, it's at that point that Twitter lights up, ah, listen to that Gordon Duncan, some Mullow fan he is sticking up for Alfredo Morelos. And it's like, how can you not get what's happening here? Like, it's obviously just to try and, um, to try and keep the debate going or keep the discussion going. Um, and, and try and steer it in a certain direction. So, I think just to, to kind of to referee it almost that's that's the best way for me. I always just try and, and try and stay calm with it. Try and listen um, to to both sides, and then ultimately just try and move it on so that it's not not um, kind of going round in circles, really. And what happens then if it gets to a point where you feel you need to cut a, like a collar off? How often does that happen? How often would like would it come round where you have to like you you think you have to cut someone off? There's a bit of a misconception around this, actually, and I see this on Twitter a lot. And again, it's something I do quite like explaining because I, th- I think people maybe aren't quite fully up to speed with what. So to to actually cut someone off, as in dump the call, yeah, that hardly ever happens. Like that really does. So I'll, I'll always see this. Oh, he get cut off, or he get cut. That, that's that's not really what's actually happening. There's a there's a delay on the show so that if someone swears or says something out of order legally then we would dump the call and that to me is getting cut off you know that's officially cut off as in I press this button and the call disappears and we don't hear from them again um, what there might be obviously is if I feel just that conversation has run its course or that the point is not really going anywhere or, or whatever then you know, maybe the pundits and I'll I'll come off the back of the call, and then I just might just might feel like not really going back, not really going back to the caller, and, and just moving on to the next one. And then people sometimes perceive that as as the caller being cut off, which is not really the way I see it. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, because ultimately they have to get cut off at, at some point. You know, like it's never it's never going to be. I mean, and and I love this. This is not a bad thing, but some of our callers would stay on for two hours themselves if if we let them. So. It's not, you know, the, the conversation has to reach a conclusion at some point. And some t- that, that's just, unfortunately, that's just part of the job. You know, there might be, I might feel that the conversation has run its course after one minute. I might feel that it's run its course after five minutes. It really doesn't, you know, there's really no hard and fast rule. So just because, and I've got a, I've got a kind of split second to make that decision. You know, if I decide, all right, you know what, nah, I've, I've had enough of that, we'll go on to the next one. That doesn't necessarily mean that that they're being cut off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, certainly that's just the way I see it. Maybe that's semantics. But and the other thing as well is, and I get this one a lot, is 
the, the, the number of times there's a real knack and it's so unlucky where a caller might come on and make a really, so let's say, controversial point at 6.54 or 6.55. And then we'll really get into it and I'll think, all oh, right, I'll, I'll, I'll let this go as long as I can. I'll let it go as long as I can. I'll let it go as long as I can. Um, but I've got times that I need to hit the brakes at. Yeah. Particularly that one because there's the seven o'clock news, and I don't know how many times this has happened where I'll say, "Look, do you know what? I'm I'm sorry. We're all, we need to go. Let's end that." And again, Twitter, all the experts go, "Oh, how how convenient! Eh? You need to go for the news." And I feel like saying, "What time would you like me to to play the seven o'clock news?" <laughs> no, I mean the the, the, the seven fifteen news doesn't quite have the same ring to it. So the news has to go at seven o'clock. So. If the controversial point is getting made before that, again, I don't like doing it, but it's just tough. It will just need to end at some point and we'll need to move on. But as always, people always think there's some sort of ulterior motive there when there never, ever is. Yeah, no, definitely. Is, is there no way then, I suppose, that you could keep that caller on over the seven o'clock news to then go back? Yeah, do you know what? And, and that's the thing. And I think I think we have on a couple of occasions. And do you know what? See if it, if it really... If it really made that much difference, I suppose we would. But see, if you think about it, you've probably got a four-minute break, then a two-minute news. Yeah. So you're up, you're up to six minutes. Then beat, beat the pundit, maybe another five, six minutes. You could be 12. You're banging in the door of 15 minutes. You know, that, I don't think that really benefits anyone, to be honest. Yeah, no, no that's a good point, I have to say. Um, yeah. What would you say is the funniest call you've ever had? Well, there's been a few. Yeah, there really have been a few. Um, I've got one in my, my mind, but I'll, I'll let you say yours. Right, okay. There's a couple. Well, depends, actually, because some haven't made it to air, obviously. Yeah. Um, I always, so I'll start with them. The one that always tells about the guy that dropped the C-bomb on me, it's the only time it's ever happened. Is <laughs> we could not believe it. Like, And he didn't even... <laughs> he was basically ranting about the Rangers midfield. He was a Rangers fan and he was saying... Oh, do you know what we need in that midfield? He says, and it pains me to say it, but but we we need somebody like Scott Brown. Now, I'm not saying I like the cunt, but that's the kind of guy we need. And I was just like, oh my God. So he obviously didn't even, he, the hilarious thing was he just used it in that, that Glasgow way where it wasn't even yeah. meant to be an insult. It was just like, just a word that's just thrown in there. Um, so dumped the call and uh, it was chaos because I, I just want to laugh when it happens, but then I, mean, I can't have to pretend it doesn't. Um, <laughs> there was another woman as well. I think one of the, I think the, the thing that got me about this one was it was one of the first times it happened. Um, Gordon, DL, Mark Wilson, and myself had been kind of we had been talking rubbish to be fair and, and kind of laughing, and I was still laughing as I went into the call. Um, and. And she she uh, she said, "Oh, you guys talk some amount of shite." <laughs> <laughs> I just it was like something is still game or tuna fat, honestly. And again, I had to dump it. But then the three of us have just lost it in the studio. And of course, if you're listening at home, you'll never know Aye. what what was actually said. But I and I'm a I'm an I'm an ugly laugher, you know. I, I get I like the tears really run down my face quite quickly, and I I can't really compose myself. So they would be the ones that that didn't make it to air um, in terms of the ones that did yeah, there was one I remember a guy John in Hamilton one night and his wife was like screaming at him in the background and, and then it got cut off and we made this big joke about you know as if she had she had pulled the plug and battered him with the phone sort of things um, I've a guy a guy coming out of Ibrox who was so furious with the Rangers game that he threw his cheeseburger away during the call just really random stuff like that 
I remember the the guy John and Hammer. I think I remember that call. Yeah. Oh, that's that's brilliant. Um, mine would be I think it was it was back in January. I was going to um, a charity event. Um, my parents friend's daughter was doing she was going to Malawi and uh, Malawi, I don't know how you pronounce it. And the Motherwell a couple of the Motherwell players were at this charity event along with Stephen Robinson and oh, I know, actually, do you know what I know exactly I know exactly who you're talking about, but that's that's by the by. Um and Tam Cowan was there and um we were on the way up and we were on the motorway and it was beat the pundit and uh, listening to it and it, it's obviously it's DL and Wilson so it, I, I love a Thursday night you can't beat it <laughs> and um, I, I can't remember the guy's name but I, for talking sake I'm, I'm going to say Simon I don't know if that was the guy's name but I remember he, I think he passed on most of the questions and Gordon DL and Mark Wilson absolutely keen the guy and I felt <laughs> so rotten for him and it was like I think it was Mark Wilson um, when you asked, I think you asked for his name again and Mark Wilson said, oh, I'd probably say pass to that as well. And it was just, <laughs> it was an absolute battering, but it was one of the funniest calls I've, I've ever listened to. It was... Uh, yeah, I think I remember the one you mean. That sounds about right. And, and you know what? I'm always quite keen to, to try and strike the balance with that. The last thing, I'm a big softie, right? The last thing I want um, is, is, to, is to make people feel bad. And, and I would hate to like really, really embarrass people but at the same time, I feel like, do you know what, when it comes to like football and stuff, like surely there's room for a little bit of banter and a little bit of kind of winding each other up. Um, so I'm, I'm always quite keen to to hope that we get the balance right on that. Um, I think I think we do. Um, I think we do, certainly when it comes to uh, callers who are not very good at beat the pundit. It's always good fun. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a victim of beat the pundit. I phoned up and... Um, You've been on, have you? Yeah, I was on. It was 2016 and it was... Um, I was like, I, I tweeted the account because it was one night, the questions were easy, and I was like, those questions were easy. Do you know what? I, you know, if I came on, I'd win it. And <laughs> I went on my face. It was a Tuesday night, and I don't know who controls the Twitter accounts. So I'm having the producer. And he was like, oh, why don't you come on tomorrow then? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to face Roger Hanna because the guy's <laughs> unbeatable. And anyway, we drew 3-3. Three, three. And it went to a tiebreak, and I'm thinking, right, this is a total guess. And the question was, and I always remember it was, as the crow flies, what's the distance from um, Peterhead to to Stranraer? Jesus. And I'm like, I don't know anything. I'm, I was rubbish at math, so you know, all this mileage stuff goes out the window in me. And I was like, 263 miles, and it was just a total guess. And I That'll heard, be close. and I heard not. No, it wasn't. It was it was oh, miles yeah. off, and I heard Gordon Dale laugh, and I'm like, no. And uh, the answer was sixty three miles, and I think Roger Hanna said sixty five, and and I was away off, and I remember because it was Jerry, and he, he went, what did you say there? And I was like, oh, two hundred and sixty three miles, and he went, and that's when Gordon Dale laughed, and I was on oh, no, and I went on, and I I went into Twitter, and I was like, Clyde SSB beat the pundit, whatever, and um. I seen people absolutely taking the mick out, and I was like, "Oh no, I'll never be able to live this down." And my name <laughs> in the group chat get changed to um, uh, two hundred and sixty-three miles, and I'm like, "Oh, get lost!" It was horrendous. No, honestly, so Peterhead to Sunral must be further than that. Must be. Well, I'm, I mean, I thought that, but I think the question was as the crow flies. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know, but um, I, oh, no, I think, I think either either you've remembered that number wrong, or you've been absolutely done. Well, I hope it's the second one because I don't. I, I didn't like the embarrassment I felt. Um, there you are, right? I've, I've just looked it up. I told you it was close. It's two hundred and sixty-seven miles from Stranraer to Peterhead. 
Oh no, I said oh no, I I've got that wrong. I said sixty three miles, I think. And All right, other way around, right? I, yeah, other yeah, way yeah, around. Got you, got um, you, got you. And Gordon, I think it was Roger Hanna said 265 or so. I thought it was, it was right, the other way around. I said 63 miles. Got and, you, um, that's fine. I thought I was going to have to send you a signed ball from three or four years ago there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and I think that was the last time I called that. I'm, I'm not no doing that again. Um, nah, don't be daft. Have you back anything? How would just quickly? Um, it's not a question I had written down, but uh, who who would you who has been winning beat the pundits since it started? Would you say it's been the pundits or the the punters that have have won the majority of them? Yeah, I think it. Uh, yeah, that's got to be the the pundits. I would say. I mean, they obviously have their moments, um, for sure, and they can. They're absolutely beatable. And there are some weeks that that pass by. You know, where it's like three two to the listeners over the five nights. Um. But I think those are definitely rare in, in comparison. Yeah, so I, I, it will be the pundits by by a fair distance. Yeah, but it's it's definitely doable if that makes sense. I'd love it. I mean, I was proud to take Roger Hanna at three. Oh yeah, that's a great effort itself. Um, Good effort. What's it like? I suppose like working alongside guys like Hugh Evans, like someone that's been in the industry that long. Um, you know, like do you learn from him like all the time? Oh yeah, never a never a dull day. Um, and it's funny because you know he'll always he always says it as well. You know, I think I'm the first. What is it? The first presenter of the show that wasn't born when he started on the show, sort of thing. That's his life. Um, and it's. So, you know, we're obviously so different, like generally, generationally, if I can even say that. Um, I don't think I did say it very well. Um, you know, the, the age gap and just completely different, but it, it still, I think it kind of works in the way that, like, you know, how can I lean on him for for so much? Just the way that he's able to just form sentences, even, you know, the way he describes things, these turn of phrase, it's just, a, it can be a joy to listen to at times. Yeah. Um, but then the other side of it is he will, I think he would probably say that I can keep him young in a sense, you know, like, or, or keep him on his toes, you know, I, I I disagree with him all the time, you know, and it, that's fine, that's good, like, that's what we're there for, and, and even if I don't really disagree with him, I'll probably pretend that I do, just to to keep the, the discussion going, and, and it, the, the greatest compliment I can pay Hugh, I think, in terms of his role on there, is that he gets it, he just gets it, he has totally adapted over the years and it's I think if you look you know he's always had that kind of grumpy old man uh, persona but, but but that's completely evolved over time and now he's you know now, now he's on Twitter now he's this kind of kind of you know jokey figure on, on, on Twitter where he's always writes his clever little tweets and, and they're usually quite light-hearted and stuff like that and you know he's, he's embraced that side of it and some of the, the off-air stuff that we do you know with goes without saying the, the specky tube video and <laughs> with him dressed up as a Christmas tree and he'll, he's, he's up for anything with regards to that sort of stuff and he, he just he just gets it you know he's he's a he's a he's a joy to have around 90% of the time <laughs> with, um, with the specky tube then that was actually it was going to be part of my question because um, I was actually the, the question that I wrote down it was last night I wrote it down and I thought I'll try and be funny um, so it was what's it what like working with the man <laughs> with the specky tube Hugh Evans but then I thought no I'm not going to say that um, nah, you should have 
But uh, no, I, I remember watching that. It was uh, one of the best things that I've seen on Twitter. It was. I I remember just sitting in the meeting one day and just thinking, like, you know, what can what kind of thing can we do? And I just remember thinking, like, what about all the tweets that we get? Like, we get so much abuse, but surely we can like have a laugh out of it. We could get the guys read them out but I must admit I never in my wildest dreams imagined it would be so funny like but again a lot of that was down to his delivery as well and we just saved it to the you know we edited it obviously so that it was the last one and it was just brilliant it was honestly the look in his face like just hilarious and it kind of has grown arms and legs you know I think we got we got we did something else with Robert Perez and he called Hugh a specky tube in French or something and yeah it's kind of it shows you how how much of an impact it has because people now refer to him, you know, as as the Specky Tube sort of thing. So that, I think that speaks for itself. Who would you say are your favourite pundits to work with? Not obviously showing disrespect to anyone, but who, yeah, what kind of show do you enjoy doing, like with pundits? I mean, I think the majority of the feedback that I'll get, and this is not to say that this is particularly scientific it's just kind of anecdotal stuff but obviously most people say to me ah Thursday night's my favourite you know you did it yourself earlier on Um, and I think that just comes with the fact that it's obviously a bit of of madness you know Wilson and DL and they're both as daft as each other they've got a great relationship they wind each other up I've got a decent relationship with them both and, and, and we just have fun so there's that there's almost that kind of there is that comfort blanket element to that where I know that so even if it is a quiet day, see if there's nothing happening, I think, oh, do you know what? I don't care because it's Thursday and it's and it'll be fine and it'll it'll be daft. And I know that I know that it won't be everyone's cup of tea, but it seems to be a fair amount of people's cup of tea, and that's why obviously I think that one kind of sticks out. But having said that, I, I genuinely and not just saying this, I do like them all in in their own ways because you know I call the kind of the comedy element of Thursday night is a comfort blanket but having Hugh on is a comfort blanket as well because I, there's I know there is there is nothing that, that he can't handle you know like I say yeah. I'm that again to go back to that doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with him far from it but you know that he can always you know take on any point um and he'll kind of act as a an extra referee if you like you know if, if callers are um, maybe been difficult to handle, you know, he can he he'll very much kinda step in on that. Um and then, you know, like I say, that the mixture really of having Roger who just knows everything, like genuinely does. Like it's 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 ridiculous. He just knows everything. Yeah. Um so, so that's good to have around. And then, you know, on a, on a Wednesday night, Mark's got that kind of tabloid background and a, a real kind of knows for the different debates and, and I, I kinda hate these cliches but but sometimes they're true and it and it, it's and it, it doesn't always have to be, you know, it can be a good thing. Jim Duffy's just that proper, like, football man. Do you know what I mean? That kind of football guy who just, yeah, just, just gets it, just gets the game. So there's just a real, and, and, and kind of Alex, you know, speaks with a real enthusiasm about, about football. You know, he's the type, he'll, he will, he'll phone you up like, during the week and, oh, did you see that goal last night? And oh, what about this and what about that? And, he'll, you know, he's got a, a genuine enthusiasm uh, for it all. So, yeah, sorry to sit in the fence, but I like them all in their own way. Nah, it's all right. Um, nah, I, I, Thursday night is genuinely my favourite now. I'll sit down and I'll, I'll listen to it. And I remember during lockdown, my brother phoned me and he was like, are, are you listening to Clyde One? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm listening to Super Score. And he went, how funny are, are Wilson and DL? And he lives down in England. And I'm like, aye. And quality went, ah, do you just miss it? It's, it's not the radio you get down here. And then with a lockdown quiz, so every Thursday, he would sit on the phone and 
um, I would have Alexa playing and he would have his thing and Alexa's just went off there and um, his thing would be be playing and we'd be doing that quiz and uh, it was just brilliant and so, uh, Thursday nights are, are the toppers for me Yeah, um, that's that's kind of what we wanted to achieve during that really was just just you know what cheer people up at a difficult time and bring people together and the reaction it was we got was great so it was it was a yeah that that, that felt that felt quite rewarding to be able to give people just a kind of hour of madness during a really difficult time I know it was brilliant um I've got two more questions left so not too long um see in terms of beat the pundit um who is it? Is it you that writes the questions for that, or is it a producer that does it? No, nah, it's, it's the producer that writes them. I'll general, I'll generally take a look at them, um, and if there's anything that I just don't like, I'm just I'm a bit fussy. They'll probably say bad things behind my back, um, and because I, I can't even explain it, there's just some questions that I just don't like, and I can't like, I, I can't really explain why. So I'll take a wee look at it, and um, yeah, for, for something that just annoys me if I think it's too easy or it's too hard or it's it's too random or whatever then uh, then I might take it out but yeah it's the, it's the, the producers that write it because I know for a period of time there was one that was um, I, I think it was ice hockey came up quite a lot or, or <laughs> some North American sport and you're, you're thinking listening to that how so, am I yeah. you know that Andy producer Andy's Canadian so that's probably why uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the um that's funnily enough, that's something that has kind of disappeared, I think, from Beat the Pundit. I think there was a time when there was the odd non-football question in. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of disappeared. I feel like we're all football now. But yeah, Canadian Andy's undoubtedly to blame for those ones. <laughs> and the final question that I've got um, is, what happened with going to Dubai and how did we get the first scoreboard <laughs> edition of the show at home? I can't believe I actually forgot about that during this because it usually would come up and it was just the most mental time ever. Like I have never, ever taken a day off Super Scoreboard. And so it's, it works itself out at about 250, 260 shows a year. So yeah. we were well up at... I did two seasons, two full seasons, five. So we were probably well on over 600 shows and never a single day off because I just get all my time off in the summer and I hate missing a show. I just never do it and touch with them <laughs> up until this point. Uh, usually keep quite good health and stuff like that. So I'd never missed anything. But I was turning 30 in the December and the international break came up at the end of November and my wife very kindly said she was going to take me to Dubai for the weekend uh, for for my thirtieth, so the only kind of the, the reason we would do it then is because you're then at least not missing a Saturday show because it was international break. But I, I was still going to miss. Um, I think it was like the Thursday, Friday, um, and I was either back on the Monday or something like that. So it was like minimal minimal time off the show. Um, and I, I just it was just ridiculous. I was a couple of hours away from. Uh, going away my, my stomach was just getting a bit sore during, during the day and I'm thinking this is weird like I'd been out in town doing some short last minute shopping and stuff like that and it's like this is bizarre um, and I remember going to the doctor because I was thinking ah, do you know what there's something not right here but I'm going to go to the doctor they're going to tell me that it's fine and I'll go to Dubai and enjoy myself and this was about four o'clock my flight was like nine yeah. Um, you know, four o'clock went to the doctor the doctor was like nah, you're not going anywhere like that's your appendix up to the hospital and I was like remember driving up to the hospital listening to Wilson and DL like oh these two are fucking doing my nothing like um, I'm not even in the studio with them um, 
get up to the hospital. But at this point, it wasn't all it wasn't all doom and gloom yet. It was a, a girl I went to school with. It was the nurse, and um, I, she was like really looking after me and stuff like that. And she was saying, oh, "I'm going to get you blood tests, and don't worry, I'm going to get them done nice and quick. And if if it all comes back fine, you're good to go. Like you can you can go. You, you'll make your flight." And my mum and my wife were in the car outside the hospital just waiting. They had the suitcases just saying, right, as soon as you get the thumbs up, like, like we'll go. Girl comes back in. She's like, nah, she's like, blood tests aren't good. She's like, something's not right there. Um, so I think it probably is your appendix. You, you've certainly got something wrong because your, your, your blood test's not, not looking good. Um, but you can go you can go to Dubai if you want, basically, because you're like you're an adult, like we can't make you stay. If you can sign this bit of paper to say that you're ignoring our advice and and uh, you, you can you can go and that's what I did initially. I was just like just raging. I was just in a one track mind. I thought nah, I'm 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 going. So I signed the paper, checked myself out, and then I drove to the airport extremely fast. And we had I'm glad that the police weren't around. Um because I was then going to, I was in danger of missing the flight. And again, I've got Wilson and DL on as I'm driving in, just like rubbing salt in the winds, listening to their nonsense. Um, but once I got to the front door of the airport, I just realised how stupid I was being, turned around, went back, appendix out the next day, um, in hospital for a couple of days, and then back out. And then, of course, we had to have super scoreboard in the house because I couldn't drive and it don't get me wrong like I obviously could have stayed off a bit longer but it just seemed like good fun like you mentioned about Thursday night it seemed like a good excuse to get them up to the house and just do it from here and it was it was brilliant I've never never seen a reaction to a show like that ever it was just incredible like everywhere I went for days and weeks after it was all people wanted to talk about um you know getting like charles dunn the model player to like turn up at the front door and like obviously my wife like genuinely came through like midway to make the, the dinner and stuff and she actually just came through in the living room right now so she's just kind of looking at me um as i retell this story um i it was amazing and it was just <laughs> i just and I want to do it again, but I don't, obviously, if that makes sense. Aye. <laughs> um, but there was a lot about that. You know, I, I, just, I ended up watching Scotland and Cyprus in my hospital beds uh, on my laptop and stuff like that. The Ryan Christie one scored that nice goal. And uh, even when I came round, so I was I was really, really groggy, obviously having, I know it affects different people in different ways, but I remember being like really groggy. Like when I woke up, I, I was aware, like, that I was speaking so slow and I could barely get anything out. And this the anaesthetist was like leaning over me and he's like, hey, uh, Gordon, hi, um, um, just to let you know that we've had a shift swap during during your, your operation. So um, obviously I'm not the anaesthetist that, that put you under, but I, I'm now on, like, I'm, I'm going to kind of look after you or whatever. And at this point I'm like, I can barely see him and I'm, I'm aware of what he's saying and I'm trying to reply, but I know that it's like really slow. Uh, and I'm like, right, yeah, that's fine. And then he's like, hey, and by the way, like I listen to Super Scoreboard all the time. Like I love the show and stuff. And he's like, "Oh my god, get me out of here! This is a disaster." This guy's seen me at my absolute worst. Um, he starts like whipping his phone. He takes his phone out and he's like trying to show me pictures of some like football game he had been to in Cameroon or something like that. And I was like under anaesthetic, thinking, "Get me the fuck out of here!" Um, but I, all good. Nah, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, I'm glad you've recovered. Um, <laughs> What a horrendous thing to do. I don't know. I think I'd have been in the same mindset. Just get me to where I need to be, and uh, whatever happens will happen. Um, I remember I was going on a trip to Valencia. Um, it was for the football. It was for Celtic, and um, 
it was, I was coming back up the road from England and Celtic were playing Kilmarnock and my mum and dad and my brother jumped out of the car and they went into a pub to watch and I'm not going into a pub, I'm watching it on my phone and um, I sat in the car and I'm not feeling well and I'm watching this game and Scott Brown I think scored the winner and then gets sent off and I'm bouncing about this car and I got home and I got work the next day and I come down with this really bad cold and I know I'm going to Valencia on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and I'm like, this oh, is good and I woke up on the Tuesday morning, couldn't breathe, I'm like, like, oh, this is, I've never experienced anything like this. I don't fall ill, so I, I didn't even have a doctor at the time. And um, I was like, I need to do something. I thought if I phone the doctor, if I can register and all that and get it sorted, I'll, I'll be fine. And I register and he's like, well, I can't tell you not to go to Valencia, but you know, you're going to be on an aeroplane. I, I wouldn't advise it. And I'm like, all right, okay. Um and I went home and I got my prescription. I went like that and I, I was like, I laid down and I'm like, no, I'll feel better. I know I'll feel better. And then um, they came to fly and I'm, I'm feeling rubbish. And I'd, whatever I had, I'd passed it on to my dad because he was coming as well. Oh, no. And by the time we got to Edinburgh Airport, I felt fine. And my dad felt absolutely ill and everybody else in the trip. Um, I think two, two or three people other, you know, kind of picked up as we went along. But as the trip went on, I felt gradually better. So um, glad you went. It was about just pushing through to get there because it's, it's <laughs> where I wanted to be. Um, Football does that to you? Oh, it does. Um, it's a actually it's a great uh, like it's a great way to like forget about what's going on in your life for for ninety minutes. So it's a way out. Thanks very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, no problem. Anything. That was De Stefano Talks episode number eight with Gordon Duncan. Hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as I did recording it. Um, it was really nice to to sit and chat to Gordon about, about football, about his career. Um, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, as you know, this is the first of the final four episodes of De Stefano Talks, so you know, I, I definitely do hope that that you did enjoy it. Um, it was really great to hear an in depth sort of tale about how Super Scoreboard is run. You know, with the fact that what would be perceived as a collar being cut off isn't actually the case. It's just more of a fact that they have to work to time constraints for the news or, you know, advert breaks or, or travels, etc. So, you know, it was really good to kind of hear that. Um, and also to hear, you know, Gordon's funniest call with uh, John and Hamilton and and Sandra phoning up, telling them that they, they talk some amount of shit. Um and obviously, you know, I gave my what I thought's been my favourite call for Super Scoreboard was a guy, um, from Beat the Pundit back in January, getting absolutely rinsed off Gordon Dale and Mark Wilson, um, you know. So, I I hope you you, you did enjoy it, and obviously Gordon's story about Dubai that's uh, that's just mental. Um, I couldn't believe it when I heard this story first time round, but just mental to hear it again. So no, definitely. I hope you did enjoy the this episode, the first of the final four, um, as I'm calling it. Um, up next on the podcast, we have the BBC's Tam Cowan. Uh, I'm really looking forward to sitting down and having a chat with Tam. Obviously, because of current restrictions, it has to be done over Zoom. Um, but nonetheless, I'm looking forward to it, um, and I can't wait to, to release the second of the final four um, episodes of the podcast um, but I hope you have enjoyed it up until now um, and I hope you are excited for, for what's coming in January uh, 2021 uh, you know I'm really excited about that um, there will be an announcement closer to maybe probably after the final episode of the current format um, as to who the 
co-presenter uh, co will be. Um, I'm looking forward to revealing that. But let's just say he's got a lot of knowledge about football, um, and I think you know people people will will enjoy the content that's coming in 2021. But once again, thank you very much for tuning in today, Stefano Talks. This has been episode number eight with Gordon Duncan.